0: Welcome! Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve sacrificially. We're so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we're gathering on Saturdays at 530 and Sundays for one service at 10. Come early for coffee and donuts at 930. We look forward to connecting with you. Good morning. Good to be with all of you. Uh, One of my favorite uh, pastors, a guy named Dan Ortland, he says that you can uh, tell what a church believes by the songs that they sing. But you can tell how much a church believes the songs they sing by how they sing those songs. And I just have to say, you all were singing today. Um, That was a beautiful moment uh, just listening to to worship with you today and and experiencing that with you. So thank you uh, for that gift. Uh, today, uh, we are diving into the, the last part of part one of the book of Acts. And we've been in Acts for the last eight or nine weeks. We're going to be wrapping up today. And then we're going to be moving on to Thanksgiving next week. And then we'll be stepping into our Advent season and celebrating the birth of our king. But we will pick up Acts part two uh, in the spring for our next small group series. So if you're like, hey, we're only halfway through the, the book. Why are we stopping here? That's a really long book. And we're going to pause and we are going to pick it back up. So we're excited about that. Uh, It'll be great. But we are wrapping up today, Acts chapter 10 um, through 12. And we're looking at this story about a man named Peter and Cornelius. And if you've been with us throughout this book um, and this series on the book of Acts, um, I'm actually going to throw it out to you. Do you remember what we've said kind of week in and week out is the big idea of the book of Acts? Does anyone remember? There's a particular Bible verse that we looked at at the beginning of Acts in Acts chapter 1. And if you don't remember, that's okay. I'm not going to, sh- like, shame you. <laughs> Anybody have an idea? What's that? Yeah, you shall be my witnesses. That's right. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is kind of the big idea that ties the entire book together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses. Great job. Got an A on the test. And Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the big idea is that Jesus has empowered his people by the Holy Spirit to take this gospel message of what he has done into Judea, Samaria, and out to the ends of the earth. But the question that hangs over this big idea is how far does the gospel actually go? Like what does Jesus mean when he says to the ends of the earth? Because up until this point in the book of Acts, everyone who has encountered the story of Jesus, everyone who has come to belief in Jesus has been a a Jew. Someone who understood the messianic promises. Someone who grew up and and lived amongst the people of God and considered themselves in the people of God. And what we're slowly seeing over the last few weeks is there's this question happening of how far will the gospel go? How far will the gospel reach? So a couple of weeks ago we looked at Acts chapter 8 and we saw that Samaritan are included, which is in this mission, and that even an Ethiopian eunuch is included in the kingdom. And then last week, Larry unpacked the story of the conversion of Saul, uh, who became Paul, and that we learned that even someone who is persecuting the church— is invited into the kingdom of God. And so we see this slow expansion of the gospel to include more and more people. And today we're going to be looking at that question, who has Jesus invited into his kingdom? And I think that's an important question for us to wrestle with because I think a lot of people carry that question with them. Is Jesus for me? Does what he have to say, is his message for me? Who's in, who's out, who's welcome in the church and who's not? And it's something that many of us inside the church and outside of the church wrestle with is is who does Jesus welcome? Into his kingdom. And so we're going to be looking at that today. And the story starts with a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius, we're not really told much about him. This is the only story in Scripture that we really see him pop up. But what we are told is that he's a Roman centurion, which means he's a, a leader in the Roman army. He's probably in charge of three to six hundred men. Um, and it also means that he's a Gentile. So he basically, if you're not familiar with that term, it means that Cornelius is, is not a Jew, he's from another nation. And anyone that was not considered Jew is called Gentile. So Cornelius is a Gentile. We're also told that he's a devout God-fearer, which is another way of saying that he's spiritual but not really religious. Like he kind of worships God in a sense, but maybe doesn't adhere to any one specific God that he believes in. And this man, Cornelius, receives a vision from God of Scripture. And it tells him to call for a man named Peter who's staying at a man named Simon's house in Joppa. Now, if that feels kind of like a weird vision, um, you're right. It's kind of a weird thing to just say, hey, go grab this random person, have them come to you, and he'll explain the scriptures to you and everything that I have taught them. Uh, he will teach you what I've commanded. And so he receives this vision, and then he sends for Peter. He sends a soldier and two of his servants to a man named Peter. And while all of this is going on, this is what's happening in Peter's world. So all of these men, they're going to go get Peter. And then in Acts uh, chapter 10, I think it's verses uh 9 through 13, it says, about noon the following day, so after Cornelius has received this vision, they were, <clears throat> they were on their journey and approaching the city, and Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, the best kind of dream you can have is a dream where you just get to feast, right? Like that's just a great dream. But there's more going on here for Peter. It's not just that he's hungry and starts dreaming of food. God comes to him with a very specific Goal in mind in this vision. So, as Peter has this vision, he begins to see all of these animals that, according to the Jewish law, they were not allowed to eat at the time. So, really, like, if you just kind of want to contextualize it, Peter sees a, a vision of bacon and of like pulled pork barbecue. And God's like, hey, you can have this and you can eat. And Peter's like, what? I've never eaten this ever before in my life. Like, what are you saying, God? Like, that's against your law. That's against your rules. We're not supposed to eat these animals. They're unclean and they're impure. And God says, do not call unclean or impure what I have called clean. And Peter, you've got to love Peter, because he's like always has really, really strong conviction at all the wrong moments, right? Like it's kind of like the people who are like, hey, it's okay to listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and they feel really strongly about it, and we all know they're wrong, right? I mean, it's like, no, that's not, whoa, no, okay, whoa, are you with me? He's not, but are you, are you? Yeah. Okay, all right, yeah, 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 you're on board. All right, so yeah, really strong conviction in all the wrong moments and all the wrong places. That's Peter. And so in this moment, God's like, Harry, you can have bacon. And he's like, no, I don't think so. And, and it's interesting that he refuses three times, it says. That God says, hey, it's okay to eat this. And three times Peter says, no, never will I eat this. And God says, no, really, it's okay. Which, again, if someone invites me to eat bacon, you better believe it doesn't take three invitations for me to get to it, right? But Peter, he has a strong conviction. It's going against who he thought God was. And he's not sure what to do in this moment. And you understand the hesitancy. I mean, if, if you heard a voice from heaven telling you to do something that, that's gone against who you thought God was, you, you should hopefully question that in the moment. And not just be like, okay, well, I'll do whatever. And Peter's struggling in this moment with what God is calling him to do and what God says is okay. So three times God says, take and eat. And he says, no, never. And then the sheet is taken back up into heaven. And Peter's just standing on a rooftop wondering what in the world just happened. Like what, what does this mean? And while he's pondering what the vision means, someone knocks at his door, And he goes down the staircase, which is probably outside of the home. And so he walks to the door and he sees a Roman soldier standing there with two servants. And you've got to understand that moment for Peter, there's probably like a a fight or flight moment for him. And and like, should I just run away? Like a Roman soldier is knocking at my door. It would be kind of like if, if a police officer came and knocked at your door and says, hey, I need you to come with me. I have some questions for you. Like he's probably not there to ask you what the chances are that the Broncos make the Super Bowl this year, right? Like you're probably wanted for questioning for something that's going wrong in wherever, your neighborhood or whatever. And then maybe you even think, like, what did I do? As I suspect? Did I run a red light? Like, what, what? Why would they be coming to ask for me? Like, Peter has a lot of hesitancy in this moment. And, and not only that, but when they say, hey, we need you to come with us, it's not just that Peter would be afraid. I mean, after all, he, he's already been arrested twice. Saul is out there persecuting the church. I mean, they, they, it's a dangerous time to be a Christian. And so not only would he have this hesitancy, but when they ask him to go with them, they're also asking him to break his Jewish moral law. You see, at that time, there was a law that said Gentiles and Jews were not supposed to associate with one another, that, that Jews were not supposed to go into the house of Gentiles, because if they went into the home, if they touched their possessions, or they interacted with their food, or if they spent time with them, then they would become unclean and impure themselves because they considered the, the Gentiles to be impure and unclean at the time. And yet, as Peter's wrestling with all of this, the Holy Spirit speaks to him again and says, Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to go with them. You see, Peter would be hesitating in this moment because he has believed his entire life that these are the types of people that he is not supposed to be associated with. That he has believed his entire life that these are the kind of people that he is supposed to remain separate from and stay away from. And yet the Holy Spirit says, don't hesitate to go with them. It's too late in the day to make the trip all the way back to where Cornelius is. So he invites the Gentiles into his own home, which, again, was against the code at the time. And they spend the night together. And you have to wonder, like, what that conversation was like that night. And the next day they set out and they head to Cornelius' house. And it tells us, Luke tells us, the narrator tells us that when they arrive together, that Cornelius falls on the ground before Peter. He just bows before Peter. And you have to understand how upside down that was in that world. Like a a person like Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a centurion who who was in control of three to six hundred soldiers, he would not bow to anyone except his superiors. I mean, generals and Caesars are the only people that he bows or bends a knee to. And yet Peter walks into his home and he kneels before him. It kind of freaks Peter out. And he says, get up, get up. What are you doing? I- I'm not someone who's supposed to be worshipped. Like this is, this is so weird. It would be like when we just celebrated all the veterans. If we had everyone else in the room stand up and left the veterans. See, like it's all backwards. It's not the way that things are supposed to be. It's not the person you're supposed to show honor to. And so Peter he he's kind of confused and he doesn't know what's going on and this is what it tells us that he says in verse 28 he says, you are well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Peter just comes right out and names it. And, and this is a law that, that Gentiles would have been very familiar with. In fact, there was a lot of animosity and hostility between Jews and Gentiles because the perception from Gentiles, you can understand, if you're not welcome in someone's home, then maybe they think they're better than you or that, that you're somehow not um, worthy of being involved in their life. And, and Peter and the, and the Jews, they had this kind of perception that everyone who was wasn't a Jew, was impure or unclean. So Peter just comes out and names that dynamic. But then he says this, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now pause. What just happened there? Peter took this vision of pork and barbecue and, and bacon and things that God had said, don't call these things unclean or impure if I have called them clean. And he applies that vision to a Gentile. You see, Peter's starting to unravel the mystery of this vision that he was pondering. That that in this vision, something is shifting and changing. That that what he previously thought was unclean or against God's will or impure. God is changing something about this dynamic. That, That the vision doesn't apply just to food, but to Gentiles. He applies it to people to foreigners and people from other nations and ethnicities that he has previously thought were excluded from the kingdom of God. He realizes that the vision he received is not just about eating food, but about God's heart for reconciliation. And so he goes on and he says, So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. But may I ask why you sent for me? He's still not entirely sure why he's there. And then Cornelius says, hey, I had a dream too. An, an angel came to me and said, send for a man named Peter. I'd never heard of you before, but I sent a soldier and, and some servants to go get you and bring you back. And they told me that you could reveal to me everything about God and that you could teach me everything he has commanded you. And it's easy to breeze past this moment. It, it's easy to, to breeze past this moment of a, a Roman centurion asking a Jew, to teach him about God. And it's easy to breeze past the moment and the dynamics of Peter, who, who has thought his entire life that this person is not someone that he is supposed to associate with. But notice what he says next. In verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You see, what Peter is realizing in this moment is where he previously thought God had shown favoritism for a particular people and for a particular group, that, that something is shifting in his heart in this moment. He, he's recognizing this is a, a deep moment of revelation for Peter. I mean, it is ground-shaking, ideology-breaking stuff that he's encountering in this moment. People that he thought were outside of God's design, God's will, God's providence, God's grace. He's seeing that there's something happening here where he thought there was favoritism. There is no favoritism. It was really simple for the Jews. I mean, core to their identity was don't eat pork and don't associate with Gentiles. And that was like core to their identity. And in a dream, everything begins to shift. And in this conversation with Cornelius. And so I think a question we have to ask ourselves in this story is, is there a place in our life, or, or maybe when was the last time in your life that God shifted your view on something? When was the last time that you had a, a theological conviction or, or some sort of ideology that you adhered to, something you believed in and you thought was the will of God? And slowly, as you interacted with other believers, or as you studied scripture, you realized that you were off base. That, that God's heart was different than you previously assumed. That, that the gospel was more expansive or inclusive than you previously imagined. That's what's happening to Peter in this moment. He is being converted to a new way of understanding God. In fact, John Stada, a famous theologian, he says about this story that, that we call it the conversion of Cornelius. But that's not the point of the story. The, the real point of the story is the conversion of Peter. So where in our lives might we need to be converted to what God is doing in the world to finally get what he is up to. And so Peter he says as he says I now realize that the that it's true that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does not what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ to his Lord of all. And then Peter just begins preaching. He just begins telling them the story of Jesus that he's told to every person he's interacted with to this point up in the book. And and he preaches the the truth to Gentiles. And so he says, there was a guy named Jesus. And maybe you've heard of him. He became really famous because he went around everywhere healing people who were sick and raising people who had died and feeding the hungry and performing miracles, giving, giving sight to the blind. And people were so angry about the way that he was upsetting the systems of religiosity and the economic systems and everything that was going on in the world. And so they were so angry about what he was doing that they crucified and killed him. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And I know that might sound crazy, but we saw him die and then we ate meals together with him. He was alive. And before he went to heaven, he told us to be his witnesses. To the entire world and preach the forgiveness of sins in his name. And as Peter is preaching, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit descends on the room and everyone there begins speaking in tongues and worshiping God. And Peter and the Jews that he brought with him, the Jewish believers that he brought with him, they are shocked. They're so confused. They're just looking at it, thinking, what in the world is happening? Because in in their eyes, that the people that they're preaching to in this moment, the Gentiles, they are impure and unclean, and they have received the Holy Spirit of God. And they don't know how to reconcile that happening. And, and Peter's looking at it. They're looking at him saying, like, what did you do? Like, what, what did you do? You just preached, and now the Holy Spirit, like, what is happening? And Peter's looking at it "I, saying, like, well, I can't argue with the Holy Spirit. Like, if the Holy Spirit has come, who am I to say that the Holy Spirit is wrong in this? So I guess we should just baptize them. And so they baptize all of the believers in the house today. And it's the first moment of Gentile conversion, Gentiles being accepted into the faith. And the question is, what is happening in the story? What is taking place? What are we supposed to understand from what is happening in this moment where everyone is shocked that the Holy Spirit descends on the Gentiles, the people who are outside the people of God? You see, the question about who is welcome in the kingdom of God, who has Jesus invited into the kingdom of God, what this story in the book of Acts are trying to get us to see is that everyone has been invited into the kingdom of God. That everyone is welcome, the kingdom of God. I think the second question for us, as if Peter is realizing in this moment that, that where he thought God showed favoritism, there is no favoritism. It is where do we show favoritism in our own lives? Like Where do, have we maybe limited the scope of the gospel in our own world? Where have we potentially forgotten that God does not show favoritism to certain people to the exclusion of others? See, sometimes I think intentionally or unintentionally, we can have this belief or this understanding that that, that certain people are in and certain people are out and could never be in because of what they've done or who they are. And we may have some sense of belief that, yeah, of course, the gospel is for everyone. But do we live that out in practice? So a couple of questions for us to maybe wrestle with today that I've been wrestling with this week Do we think there are certain types of sinners who have been excluded from the gospel? Do we think that God has shown favoritism for our own nation just like Peter did? Do we think that God has some special plan or special belief about our country over people from other nations? Do we think that certain people need to change before they can become followers of Jesus? Who have we called impure and unclean that God has called clean? See, later in scripture, the apostle Paul, he's reflecting on this very moment where the Gentiles come to faith in Ephesians 2. And and he's reflecting on this moment and he says that there was a dividing wall of hostility between Gentiles and Jews that in Jesus' name has been brought down. The question for us is, is where have we maybe inadvertently restored that wall? Where have we created divisions of hostility between the person of Jesus Christ that he wants to break those walls down? Where have we shown favoritism? See, what Peter is realizing in this moment is the gospel is an open invitation to everyone, and I do mean everyone. That's the big idea of the book of Acts, that no matter your background or your past, no matter your status, no matter your ethnicity or nationality, God does not show preferential treatment to anyone, but welcomes all. It's an open invitation. And I think sometimes we, we walk this balance between inclusivity and, and welcoming people and extending the gospel invitation to people, and, and sometimes we, we can unintentionally exclude people and make people feel left out. And we've all felt that before. We've all had moments in our lives where we felt left out. Maybe it was some friends who were throwing a party and you didn't get the invite and you're not sure why. I, I remember when I was in middle school, best friend in the world. His name was Luke. And we did everything together. We'd grown up together in elementary school. and But something happens in middle school. We're um, like 12, 13. For, for most boys, it's kind of this awakening moment where you realize there's such a thing as girls. Um, and they don't have cooties. They are cuties, right? Like we've all had that moment. Um, and, and we had that moment. And it puts a strain on relationship with your boys. Like you do everything together. And suddenly it's like, hey, I don't know if I want to hang out with you. I want to hang out with my girlfriend or the girl that I like. And so, (laughs) So, Luke and I, we did everything together. We have this realization. We started, like, interacting with girls. And and I asked Luke one Friday night. He's like, hey, man, you want to hang out tonight? We can go watch some movies, maybe play some basketball and and do our thing. And he's like, no, sorry, we've got a family thing. I can't. So I was like, okay, no worries. And so I do the next coolest thing a 13-year-old can do is I go to the grocery store with my mom on a Friday night. And we just hang out. And we're going grocery shopping. And then we go into a video store in the grocery store. Because that used to be a thing before you could stream everything is you'd, like, rent, movies from grocery stores. So we're renting a movie. we're in there, and who walks in but Luke with a couple of girls that he's hanging out with? And I see him, and he sees me and I was like, "Oh, family, huh? Like, clearly, you ditched me to hang out with these girls. And it was just a moment where I felt like left out and was like, "We're going to, yeah, this sucks." And we've all had those moments where, where we thought we were, like, close to someone or we thought we were invited and then found ourselves excluded and left out. And, and my fear is that sometimes church is that place for many people. That, that even if you are in this room, church is the one place where you feel like you may not be welcome or invited or accepted, that you are excluded. That if people really knew who you are, then you would not be welcome into this community. And how many of us carry this fear? And I wonder how that affects our ability to welcome and invite others into our spaces. To make them invited to meet and encounter Jesus. If the invitation is for everyone. Who in our lives have we maybe excluded from that invitation? See, the good news of the gospel is that no one is left out. Everyone is invited. He died so that anyone who calls on his name, Jew, Gentile, black, white, rich, poor, man, woman, all are accepted because of his grace. See, what we see in the book of Acts is it, it starts small with the core group of people, the disciples, and then suddenly it expands to include people who previously didn't follow Jesus, and then it expands to Samaritans who were previously considered outside of the Jewish people, and then it expands to an Ethiopian eunuch, and it expands to Paul who is who is assaulting the church, and then it expands all the way to the inclusion of Gentiles who were considered impure and unclean. The gospel is an open invitation to everyone. And what Peter is realizing in this moment is that God's plan, God's mission is far bigger than he ever could have imagined. The gospel is an invitation for everyone. And I think there, there might be some of us who are here and we're struggling in this moment. Because we maybe haven't given a lot of thought to the the reality that the gospel is an invitation to everyone. We maybe haven't really thought that much about who's included and who is deserving of the invitation. Because we honestly are just struggling with whether or not the invitation is for us. Like we just wrestle with the idea of am I worthy of being invited? Is Jesus enough for me? There's something about being a pastor that that causes a a struggle there. And I I don't think it's unique to pastors. I think you'll actually resonate with what I'm about to say. But but I've been a Christian for a long time. And and I have read my Bible almost daily, probably not almost daily, but I've read it enough, right? And I've preached almost weekly for a dozen years. And, And there's still a gap that I see in myself between who I think I'm supposed to be and who I actually am. And it's that gap that we wonder, is Jesus enough? Like if we know the answers, if we know who we're supposed to be, if we know what God has called us to and we continually struggle in the same spaces, is Jesus enough? Are we invited? I just jotted down a few thoughts of that struggle that I feel like I I have, and and I wonder if you'll resonate with some of these. Like anyone, I, I often believe and doubt. I can find myself listening patiently and losing my temper. At times I give selflessly, and others I act selfishly. I can talk about God's heart for justice without ever actually living it out. I can preach a sermon on Sunday and participate in gossip on Monday. I can pray in the morning and cuss at someone next to me in the road on the way to work at a church. Some moments I can be kind and I can be hurtful. I can be full of hope and full of cynicism. Some moments I'm courageous and others I'm a coward. I'm faithful and I'm frail. Haunted by things I've done in my past that I wish I could take back. And yet the gospel is an invitation for me. And the gospel is an invitation for you. See what Peter is realizing in this moment with Cornelius and in this interaction is that the gospel is open to everyone, and that includes you and me. We have all been invited from the ends of the earth. Where we've been separated from God to be welcomed into his table. And the question I had about this story is, is why is Peter the one who goes to the Gentiles to preach the gospel for the first time? Because we just saw in the previous chapter that, that Paul was converted and we're told explicitly that Paul is going to be the one who preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. So, so why does God go back to Peter and skip over Paul and he starts his ministry later. What is it about Peter that in this moment is the one who who is called out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles? And there's a small detail that, that is so insignificant we might even pass over it and not notice anything about it. But when God shows up in Peter in that vision and speaks to him, it tells us that he had to tell Peter three times, three times, that he should not call what is. Clean, impure, or unclean. And if you know Peter's story, you know that God speaking to him three times is not insignificant. Peter's the one who on the night Jesus was betrayed, three times he denied knowing his Savior, his his rabbi, the person that he followed. Three times people said, hey, are you with this guy that we've just arrested and are about to crucify? And Peter says, no, never seen him before in my life. And later, Jesus comes to him after he has risen from the dead. And there's this beautiful scene at the end of John where they're walking on the beach together. They've just had breakfast on the beach. and, And Jesus strikes up this conversation with Peter. Who, it tells us he's gone back to fishing. He's given up. And Jesus says to him, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then a third time, Jesus asked, Peter, do you love me? And we're told that Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time because he remembered the three denials. When God shows up in Peter's life and says something to him three times, we should listen up. See, I think something that's happening in this moment, why Peter is the one sent to the Gentiles, why he's the one with the message of God's forgiveness for all people everywhere is because Peter has experienced the depth of God's grace in his own life. And so he can preach about the breadth of God's grace to everyone. Peter has been welcomed and invited back into the kingdom after he denied knowing Jesus He has experienced the depths of God's grace in his moments of failure. And he is the one that is called to preach the good news to those who previously were thought to be unclean and impure. Who better to preach the message of the breadth of God's grace than someone who has experienced the depth of God's grace? See, that's the the pattern in this story is when people experience the grace of God, then they go and share that grace with others. What would it look like if we were a community of people that had been so deeply affected by the grace of God in our own lives that we go out into the world inviting everyone to experience the same grace and mercy that we've experienced ourselves? That's the beauty of this story. I want to read to close today a passage that I I mentioned earlier and actually that we prayed together earlier today from Ephesians 2. It's the Apostle Paul reflecting on this moment and, and you see the same pattern of grace experienced and then grace given. And so if you want, as I read this, it's not going to be on the screen. I'd encourage you to close your eyes, listen to the words, let scripture speak to you in this moment about the goodness of God's grace, and hear these words as we close today. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved, and God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Amen.